0: I want to talk to you today about strength and weakness and wisdom we're talking about embracing paradox and then the Bible is just full of these kinds of paradoxes well today I wanna get to one and it's this it's that the Apostle Paul he says that it's actually in weakness I am strong like uh, that's one that I've heard all my life and I'll be honest sometimes I wonder if I really believe it because when you're in those moments of weakness it just does not seem to be true. But I want to I I make an argument that maybe we can trust the Apostle Paul and the words of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about we're in this great mystery, right? Like we were just singing and you were talking about a God that made it all. There's like this transcendence of this experience of God that honestly, I could talk all day until I'm blue in the face. You can all tell me about your experience of God and it would all just be a fraction of what this energy this being is like the best we could do is just have these bits and pieces of experience so there's this transcendent that we could talk and we're never ever going to nail it all down and then there's this eminent experience of God's presence that I, I it's a mystery to me but these moments of bumping up against things often they're in interactions with others um, they're something that I'm engaged with in the world. And then there's this close, near experience of God. So I always say this. God is fur, um, like uh, more of a mystery than he's ever been in my life, but he's also nearer than he's ever been. And so I'm trying to hold those two tensions together. So about the mystery here, I want to start here because I want to make sure we're grounded in, um, when we get to these paradoxes, that we have a big enough understanding of God, but we also have an understanding of God that we can wrap our heart around. So what are we doing in this place? We're paying attention to this mystery, which I say is love. But here's the way this guy says it. And this is so helpful, and I think this is true to what we're trying to do here in this space. Most of us who call ourselves Christians do so on the basis of belief more than experience. We substituted theological ideas for the experience of life. And we are full of religious notions but our greatest weakness is that for our hearts there is no one there anyone had that kind of experience that we got all the theological ideas and we're and there's all these things that we're told that God is but when it really comes down to it there's not something present in our heart that that matters this guy was an amazing uh pastor and writer A.W. Church but he said this in 1950 but I know this to be true. There are moments in my life where I just need a presence of God in my heart that I know I can count on. But here's what it, where it happens. It happens in the experience of life. All the experiences of God, I think, happen in the experience of life, not in theological thought, not in intellectually talking philosophically or big ideas but they're actually experiences that we have so i think it's important that we start here and there are um like some people think faith is about belief can i suggest i think faith is about perception i think it's the ability to perceive the experience of god in the experience of life and that's different than belief there are uh psychologists they they talk about um what they call uh attention um def- not not attention deficit but um Attention blindness. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, um, like on YouTube, they have like, where they have these illusionists and they're doing something, and they're saying, hey, focus on this. And you're watching them, and they do some kind of illusion. And then they rewind it back and they go, did you see the, the gorilla dancing in the background? Has anyone ever seen that? How many don't see the gorilla? Does it First, let me ask this. Does anyone see the gorilla? Because maybe you should come up and be teaching that, because you guys are people that get perception. But they call this attention blindness that we can be so focused on one aspect of reality that we miss other parts of reality that are going on and I'm always even when I know it's coming I'm so focused on it and then you, know, you see this girl dance in the background and you never solve them like that is just absolutely fascinating to me but that's what psychologists talk about this is a, a, a like a focus blindness can I just say this sometimes we live our lives Blinded to the reality, this mystery of the love and the presence of God that is all around us. And it's just because we're tuned in maybe too closely to a different part of reality. And that's what we do when we gather in a place like that. It's like, how can we open our perception to experience more and more of that? So, um, and this is one of my mentors. Karen, if you put that up. Um, next slide. Um, he says this. Dallas Willard, by the way, go out and buy his Divine Conspiracy book. It's 400, 500 pages, and you will read it the rest of your life. I've been reading this thing has just transformed my experience of God. But uh, he says this, The universal way to experience God with us is by acting in love in the manner that you see in Jesus Christ. You want to experience God? We don't just experience him in the things we believe about God. We experience God when we begin to act in love in the way that we see in Jesus. That's what we're we're doing here. Like, this is all about us as a community putting all of our emphasis and understanding the love that we see in the person of Jesus, his story, these scriptures, these texts in his life, in his person. That's exactly what it is that we're doing here. And what Jesus invites us to is a completely new way of living, a completely new way of being, a completely new way of relating to people around. Sometimes relating to ourselves, um, but relating to each other in a mode of being he calls love. That's that's what we're working at. That's what we're doing here. And he begins to say just unbelievable things. Like uh, he talks about turning the other cheek. How many have heard that? Yeah, and and we get that. Sometimes we get that messed up because that sounds like. What, are we supposed to just take abuse from people? No, like if you understand that in a first century context, turning their cheek is one of the strongest things you could do because you know what it's doing. I don't have time to go into it, but it's going, hey, you're my equal. When you turn your cheek to somebody who's in authority over you, it's going, wait a minute, you're not superior to me. I'm making you my equal. So what Jesus is not doing in this is condoning more abuse. It's a very strong stance that takes a mature human being to uh, to go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to live that. He talks about going the extra mile with people. Um, I'll be honest. It's been my experience. I've probably been a kind of Christian like this that does not have patience to walk with people. There have been times in my life where I, where I haven't. I'm not willing to go the extra mile in love in the way that I actually can. So, uh, yeah, these are unbelievable invitations of what it means to to be human and experience God, to forgive those who've wronged you. Yeah. On the front end of that, when you're feeling bad and someone's hurt you in some way, it's kind of like, geez, like there couldn't be anything harder. But then you begin to trust these words of Jesus and you begin to act in this way and you go, man, I can't think of anything that's better for my soul than to actually make that choice. And then, you guys, we have trouble getting along with people who are different than us And Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. In so many ways, we're so far off from this mode of relating and being. And so can I just submit, maybe, just maybe, our inability to experience the presence of God in life is because maybe we need to challenge ourselves a little more in these kinds of things. Um, And maybe the experience of God might be a little more uh, visible a little more experienced by these hearts of ours. So here's, just, here's a way that I came up with it this week that I want you to think about it. The presence of genuine love always reveals the presence of God. Honestly, it comes down to something that simple. Whenever there's genuine love, whenever we're acting out of genuine love, or whenever we're experiencing genuine love, how many of us have been loved in some way that at some point we didn't think we deserved? What did that feel like? What did that do to you? Yeah, it's transforming. And it seems like it's coming from beyond just the person that's loving you in that way. Yes, because it's revealing the presence of God. So when I talk about mystery, mystery is not something that we can never know. Mystery is something that we're ever learning about, and it comes down to this. At the center of reality, my friends and my brothers and sisters There is a genuine love that we can experience that reveals the presence of God. And can I tell you this? It's not going to be in your head. It's going to be something you feel in here. And that's the goal. That's what we all hope to experience. And then um, another one of my mentors, Thomas Merton, um, there's a a monastery just up the road here in Trappist, uh, Kentucky. And I've gone up there uh, a couple different times just on retreats and um, it's a place where it's just all silence and I the first time I went up there Thomas Merton that was where he um, you know it was the monastery that he actually led and started but I went into the library there and I'm like well if I'm gonna be here I gotta read some Thomas Merton books so I bought all these books and by the way I have a hard time being silent that was really hard for me but I bought these books and I began to read them and in one of those books he's telling a story of It happened right up the road here in Louisville, where he has this experience of genuine love that reveals the presence of God to him. And he says he goes out on the street of Walnut, and I can't remember where it was, in downtown Louisville, and he's walking around, and it's almost like, oh, I see, I love that person. Oh, I love this stranger over here. He's walking around, everybody he's encountering, he feels this love toward. And in fact, he even says there is this, like, he sees this sunlight, like this goodness that is emanating out of all these strangers. And this thing, everywhere he goes as he's walking down the street, he's experiencing this presence of God through the presence of other people. That marked me. I'm like, wow. And can I tell you? I, I hope to see it in all of you. Maybe I don't. But uh, um, I want to. And I've encountered that at different times where you're just with someone. You're like, Wow, I love them. And I'm not even sure why. But I think there's some kind of divine presence here uh, that's with us. So um, that's the kind of love we're talking about moving our hearts and our lives toward. And I don't know, what do you think? Do you think we need more of these or less? I think the world's better if we could have more of them. All right. So let's look at a way we could do it today. I want to read to you out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. These are some tough words. This is a paradox, okay? So, um, and I still have a hard time. I woke up this morning with a little bit of anxiety going, I'm still learning this myself and I got the responsibility of inviting us all into it. But, can I just submit out of humility? I can't do this by myself. Um, You can't do it by yourself. That's why we're here. Is that a community can help us experience this more readily. But Paul, he's talking about, he's got this thorn in his flesh. This thing that has just been nagging him? If we're being honest, don't we all have something, a weakness, a shortcoming, something in our lives right now that we prayed and prayed and prayed that it would go away, and yet it's still there? Well, Paul, he's kind of wrestling with that. And it even says here in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, But he said to me this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Ouch. Anyone pray to prayer? Something to be delivered from? Um, Something that, and maybe it's something you were born with. Maybe it's something that can't change. Maybe it's something that you just have to accept. And what you get back, even though you plead, is my grace will be sufficient for you. In that. Yeah, that's not very satisfying, is it? But he goes on to say this. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right, if you all believe that, stand up right now. That's a hard one to stand up to. I would sit down if I could, because that is a hard one. We don't feel strong in weakness, do we? But yet there is this paradox that we are being invited into. Let me just start here. Um, maybe some of us have the notion that our experience of God is based on our perfection, our strengths, our greatness, us, you know, doing everything just right. Can I say this text right here is saying the exact? opposite of that that perhaps God is drawn to our weakness you guys I don't have time to go into it today but I have plenty of them and I'm learning that in those weaknesses especially there's some things that we can change right there's some things that need to change in our lives and God give us grace to change those things that we can't change but how about the grace to accept the things that we can't change and peace to live with them and to give some kind of good gift to the world around us I have overcome so many I stuttered as a kid um, I have so many weaknesses and shortcomings, but yet I keep getting invited into these places where I have to face those and I have to trust in a strength and a grace and a power greater than myself. And I am learning that this is possible and it's actually something that we could live. It sounds absurd, but it is only in Christianity. Out of all the religions of the world, where do, does anyone make this kind of claim that someone is strongest in their lowest moments? But that's what the cross shows us. We're entering into the season of Lent. We're working up to this crucifixion, this guy that dies as an enemy of the state who's done nothing wrong. And somehow through this death, in the lowest, weakest moment, this beautiful thing comes out of it that you and I are here today as a result of it. So Christianity is one of the few places that takes weakness and dying as something that can actually give birth to something great and new. But it sounds absurd. I get it. And here's the other thing that I just love about this text, is it drew Paul deeper into his faith, not further away. In fact, I would argue that people who resist their weaknesses are actually pushing themselves away in some way, because this is saying, God, he, he comes to us in our weakness. So if we want to experience a more meaningful experience of God, then maybe we start from our place of brokenness and weakness and invite God into that. But let me ask you this. If if I go around and give you all a mic, the moments in your lives that have most shaped you, have most tuned your heart to what matters most, would they be the successes? Some. But wouldn't a lot of them be uh, the times when we fell short, are times of weakness, are times when something was going to go this way, but it went that way, and it looked like a disaster, but something beautiful came out of it that we didn't see coming. Yeah, our lives are full of that. And in fact, I would argue that people who have in some way achieved success without any kind of conflict or struggle or other kind of things that they've had to face, I'm not really sure they understand what success truly is. In fact, It might be a very limited idea of success. The people that, to me, are most successful in life, they've had to go through some things um, to actually uh, arrive at the place that they're at. So loss, pain, setback, disappointment, without them, you guys, we never grow up. And yet we spend so much of our lives resisting these kinds of things in our lives. Where these are the places where the experience of God can happen, and we can grow as human beings and begin to learn that our lives can hold these tensions, not by ourselves, but with other people that um, are helping us hold those. And I would, here's another thing I would say, we are less makers of our journey of life, and I think we're more discoverers. When, when we're trying to make things happen, it's all about control. And does, does that not wear us out really quickly? And I have so many friends in the 12-step processes and in recovery that I just have so much respect for because they know how to let go more than me. They know how to embrace their weakness more readily than this pastor does. And I'm trying to learn from them because there's some beautiful thing that is transforming in the heart when we could go, wait a minute, I can't make this happen for myself. I can't make all these things happen. I'm going to have to discover that this journey can be good even though this went a different way than I thought it should. Because there's two different kinds of power. There's God's, and then there's our own. And all of our power, you guys, is limited. And listen, some of you are great. Some of you are amazing human beings and have been given so many incredible gifts and beautiful things. And I admire you and respect you, but even your power is limited. We've been given these lives. We've been given breath. We've been given so many things that we did not give ourselves. And maybe we take these limited gifts that we have and we open our hearts to how we can invite God's power into these lives. And here's, here's the way it's happened for me. It's until I run out of my strength and fuel, that's when I'm most open to a new kind of octane, right? I always buy the cheap gas. Um, But I remember when I get a new car, I'm thinking, well, maybe I want the higher octane. You know, I want this thing to run good. And it's typically, there's some kind of thing that happens in our lives or some kind of thing that we run out of that go, maybe maybe there's a fuel that's greater than just my own strength that I need to tap into. Okay, one last thing. I want to show you how Jesus speaks of this. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Luke chapter 18 um, and by the way, Jesus speaks in parables, and often when he when he uh, shares a parable, parable most of the time his disciples or followers they'll go what, and they ask him questions like they have no idea what he means by that. This parable right here, it's absolutely clear what Jesus means. I could just see him saying this, and just he didn't have mics back then, but it'd be a mic drop. He'd drop whatever and like walk away because everybody gets what Jesus is saying in this parable. But I think it actually. Um, I think it actually helps us understand what I'm, t- what, I'm, what I'm talking about here. So let me read this to you. It's called uh, The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. Find yourself in this story. Which one of these two human beings are you? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors were not honored people in the culture of this day. The Pharisee stood by himself. They were the religious people in this day. Stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. God, have pity on this guy. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Listen to Jesus' words here. It's a mic drop. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be will be exalted another paradox let me read that again for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted i'll be honest i've been both of these and maybe if you're being honest you've been both of these at different times there's times i found myself even recently just being filled with so much judgment of people that are different than me or people that honestly I'm not sure I like <laughs> and but yet there's something in my heart that whenever I kind of give myself to that I go the wrong way I'm going the wrong way like you don't go that way that, that, that's not going to be helpful to you or others um, and then I've also I've, I found myself being the humble one too and found how often when you humble yourself there's something really beautiful that your life begins to move toward so I think, this is, I think this is a mic drop. But can I just say, if I were to, I want you to walk away with just this today. That if weakness does anything in our lives, please hear me, it purifies our souls. And what I mean by that, not just so you go to heaven when you die, it purifies these hearts so that we can have this perception to experience God in everyday life. And I need this kind of purification all the time. Because I get fixated on just a particular part of reality, and I miss the larger mystery of reality that we are all meant to experience and know that actually does make our lives better and does make the world better. So there is this purifying of the soul. Weakness is good for us. Why are we trying so hard to run from it? Because what Paul says right here, it's actually this weakness has helped me from not being too conceited. He starts off with all these grand experiences he's had with God. He goes, "If well, I'm going to leave that aside, I want to talk about my weakness because when I'm learning that this is when God is most present to me, and it's in this weakness I'm finding a strength that is beyond myself." That's the invitation um of this text here. So let me come back to what I started with, which is paying attention to the mystery. Can I say it like this? Karen, if you put it up. As we leave God is that which you discover in the act and experience of love itself. Anytime you have a weakness and you open that up to mercy and grace and love and someone in your life to share that weakness with and they're going to love you in the midst of it, that's experiencing God. That's what we're trying to do. If you'd stand with me, i I want to read this as a benediction. I'm going to let you guys go ponder this over a meal or over a conversation with people you love and with people maybe that frustrate you. All right, you go ponder this and you open your heart to how maybe the presence of God could come through you acting in love. Are you receiving love in some way? But here's our benediction this comes from uh, Ephesians. This is Paul's words. He says, May Christ live in your hearts through faith. And as a result of having strong roots in love, may you have the power to grasp love's width and length and height and depth. And may we all know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that we will be filled entirely with the fullness of God, which, my friends and brothers and sisters, is what it means to actually live. I love you all. Grace and peace. Have a great Sunday.